enemies. Does anyone have an enemy? Anyone have an enemy? We have various enemies, don't we? Like, what's the enemy of the last couple of years has been the, the, what, the coronavirus, COVID-19, this virus. I mean, whoever, more than two years ago, no one of us or few of us ever heard about that. But these things have arise, you know, germs and, and viruses and come against us. Well, there's a lot of different sorts of enemies, aren't there? A, any person or group that we're opposed to such in a hostile nation. We see what Putin's doing in Ukraine and, and the enemy between Ru enemy, uh, Russia and Ukraine, the war that takes place. Something can defeat us or harm us. Or it can be something more subtle, such as drought is the enemy to the farmer. When crops are growing, the farmer, of course, needs water for his crops for good development. And drought is a condition with a lack of moisture or water, which harms the development of the crop, so it's an enemy. And as we said, disease, that's certainly one that we're all aware of. And in it, we can see that these are tools of Satan, tools of Satan to, to harm us. Satan is the, the one who has rebelled from God and wants to harm God's people, harm and destroy what God has done. And so it says that he's our enemy, the one who fights against us, who wants to harm, maim, destroy, and kill the one who was opposed to Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus as he was in the wilderness, he was tempted by Satan, as Satan was trying to get him off his path, off his mission, and harm what Jesus was called to do, tempting him to sin at the end of his fast, trying to trick, entice, deceive Jesus into trusting other than God through his word. But Jesus resisted, obeyed God, and praised God could redeem us. But in this, we see what the evil one can do, that great enemy of our faith. Peter says this, Be alert of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So we need to be alert, aware. Not that we're afraid. We're not afraid, but we're aware. As Dustin and I were talking about it, before the service, that he who is in us, the scriptures say, is greater than he is in the world. So we don't have to be afraid, but we have to be aware that there is an active opposition to what God is trying to do in our world. And in life, we have to be aware, otherwise the enemy, Satan, will use that tactic to deceive and get people messed up. But what's the greatest enemy to us? The greatest enemy that he welds is the enemy of death that great enemy, death, the enemy. Because death is the final thing. You know, what, what is beyond? So many people think there's nothing beyond. That final enemy, that great enemy, that's, and if it is that final thing, then Satan has won when he put Jesus to death. But praise God, as we have seen here in Paul speaking to us about the resurrection of Christ, this is not the last story. This is not the end. Death is not the end of it. Our enemy doesn't get the final say. For Paul says that he wants it to be clear that the resurrection of Christ has defeated all the enemy throws against us. And that it doesn't have to be the end. Death doesn't have to be the end because there is something more. The resurrection of Jesus, which we celebrated on Easter last week, and that we continue to live into as Christians each and every week, every day, we rejoice that Easter is not just for a day or a week or a season, but it's a way of life for us who follow Christ. It is how we can live in light of the resurrection. So we can face the enemy and find victory and triumph through what God has done for us.
because death's grip was broken by God in the resurrection of the Son, Jesus, from the dead. And Paul writes to us about the significance of this in this significant chapter here in 1 Corinthians 15. And we're going to continue what he says in these verses that I've read for us just previously. And as we, we look at this, the resurrection of Christ and what a difference it makes for us, we see in a couple things. It's really life versus death. There's this battle going on. Verses 21 through 23. Again, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his turn, Christ the firstfruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. What Paul is making clear is death came in the world through one person. He's, trying to, he's bringing us back to what was taught in the beginning of the scriptures. In the very beginning in Genesis, that first book of the Bible. And we see Adam, Adam and Eve, and what took place. For he says here, and he goes back to that and says, understand. And the reason why he says it's, it's important we understand what happened with Adam so that we can fully understand what Christ has done. For if we don't understand what happened in the beginning, we won't fully comprehend and be able to live into what Christ has done for us. And that's why he gets into this very first part in Genesis and what it's making clear. So that we understand life and death and the battle taking place. For in Genesis... 131, what do we find? But God saw all he made, and it was good. In creation, God's original creation, he made the world and everything in it. All that exists comes from God. And in it, he says it was good. That was his original plan, his original creative work. And the highlight of that creation was the sixth day where God made humans, both man and woman, made in his image, unlike any of the other creatures. That's the distinction in creation. Men and women are made in the image of God. Other animals and created things are, are wonderful, but only humans are made in the image of God. And they are to rule over creation, part of God's plan. There's life, fill the earth, a great place to live. Humanity's is work is to work and to worship God in the good land that God made. It was very good. So in the original design... It is glorious. What a place to live, raise children, work, and worship. There's no death. There's no sin. There's no injustice. There's no war. There's no sickness. Death is absent. It's not part of the equation. It's missing in the garden life. That's why it's often said, oh, the garden, garden even. That was, it was, in many ways, it was perfect. Ponder what your life would be like without death, without issues that lead to illness and war, aging, accidents, violence. The world that Adam and Eve are placed into. There's no great enemy of death in the very beginning of human existence. But it wasn't very long before something took place. And what is that? God gave them the option to obey him or not obey him. And in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, we see this. The command of God is to eat of anything but of one tree's fruit. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from anything, any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So there's this garden with all sorts of food and wonderful things, and you can partake in anything except one tree. Just one. Everything else is fair game, but this one. Because if you eat that, you're going to die. 
So in our, he gave us free will. He gave Adam and Eve free will. Placed them in the garden, and this was the scenario. Well, you would think, okay, all, you have 99.99% you can indulge. But this one, just leave that alone. But what we, of course, know what happened. Contrary to the, the plan and what should take place, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gain wisdom, she took some, ate it, and gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. As a parent, you've seen your kids do that, haven't you? You know, you can do anything you want. Just don't, don't mess with this one thing. Leave this one thing alone. And then within 10 minutes, what thing are they messing with? They're messing with the thing you told them to leave alone. Even though they got toys and boxes and games and all kinds of things, something within us, if, wow, if, if there's one thing we can't touch, we, we, we want to go touch that one. And that's what Adam and Eve did, even though God says, don't do it, because if you do it, you're going to die. Death will come into the world if you do it. And as the story unfolds, we see Satan, the deceiver, did his work to deceive, convincing Adam and Eve that, no, this was good. God's not right. Don't trust God. Trust your own eyes. They trust themselves, their mind, their eyes, rather than God and what he said. And it's a great point where we put ourselves above God, we're going to find ourselves into great and difficult situations. And what happened when they ate of this fruit? Death entered in the world, just as he said. And this is the story that Paul picks up when he says here in 1 Corinthians 15, that in verse 22, for as in Adam all die, or death came, in verse 21, death comes through a man. So in Adam, all die. This is what he's referencing. This is what he's talking about. That in the garden, one man, Adam, one act, death entered the world for all. Because we all participate in this human nature. We all descended from Adam and Eve. We all have fallen natures, imperfect before God. We're no longer able to walk in his presence just because of who we are, because sin now has entered in the world. And we have an inclination to sin doesn't mean we're terrible or horrible, but it means that we are no longer perfect. And so through one man, Adam, death came into the world. And all of us have been touched by this. If you eat of this fruit, you'll die. God was clear. But what happened? They ate, and death entered the world. Paul continues, for as in Adam all die, the action of Adam wasn't confined just to him, but he was our representative, the theologians will say, in a real way. He sinned and died, but we who come after him share in his sinful condition. And in ourselves, without God's intervention, we will too die. This is what Paul says, because of Adam, everyone, you, me, those still to come will one day experience death. Death entered the world through Adam. It didn't have to be this way, but because of sin, death entered the world. One man, one act, death. And why is Paul going on about this for us? Because it's crucial for us to know what Adam has done because it gives us clarity what Christ has done. Death comes through one man, that's sobering. But the good news is, as it came through Adam, so it comes through someone else. One man, one act, life entered the world. For as it was with Adam, what does the text say? For in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. And so what he's saying that as Adam, every, the world and people entered into, into sin and death into the world. But guess what? Life and resurrected life can enter in the same way through the man who has conquered death and sin, Jesus Christ. 
This is why it's so important. We see the massive impact in the world that Adam has done, but the same and greater impact has been done through Jesus Christ, through his death and resurrection. That's the good news. So in Christ, those who are in Christ, those who trust in him as Lord and Savior are in Christ, and all those will be made alive through what Jesus Christ has done. His one act has overcome all that Satan has done. All the sin has been overcome through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrected. That one man, Jesus, is that one. And his life, his resurrection, shows that we can have life in his name. And resurrections enter the world and filled it through Christ. Resurrection doesn't need a team of scientists and entrepreneurs to accomplish it. It doesn't have, need long-term work of many people over decades and centuries to figure out. No, representative Jesus Christ died for us and rose again so that we could have life. One man doing one act brings resurrection to all who, trump, who triumph through Jesus Christ by faith. It points to Jesus' work reversing what Adam brought to this world. Christ is alive forevermore. But each in his turn, Christ Comma, the first fruits, Christ is the first one. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. So all who belong to him will find this resurrection. Jesus is alive so we can be alive to him. The first fruits, as we said last week, were that which the, the farmer puts aside first, the first of the harvest, given the Lord. And then God promised that which would come later. He'd bring the fullness of the harvest in. And this is what he's saying is true. As Christ is right, so the fullness of the harvest, the resurrection for all of us who trust in Christ will come and it is guaranteed when he returns so that we can find life in Jesus Christ now and forevermore. This is for all of us who live lives of faith, who obey, who follow him as his gift of grace to us. This is absolute for everyone in Christ. As sin came in the world, so resurrection comes for those. Life versus death. In Christ, we can have life. Do you know that life? Are you living that life today? Are you certain that you belong to Jesus by faith and that you in Christ will be made alive? This is what God has for you, the first fruits of Christ. Life versus death. Well, as we go on, life defeats death. Verses 24 through 26, we see what happens here. In the text. Then when the end will come, when he hands over the kingdom of God the Father, after he's destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, he must reign until he has put all the enemies under his feet. The last enemy to destroy is death. Life will defeat death. Life's final defeat is over death as we know it. Jesus at that time will hand over the keys of the kingdom to, to the Father. Because then everything that God intended in, in creation, which we saw before sin came to the world in Genesis, now will be restored through what Jesus has done for you and me. God is sovereign over the universe, and he has promised that this will be accomplished, what he has done. For the world, the kingdom of God, as he created it, created it, now it will be accomplished, and we can live into his kingdom in this perfect situation of peace, of security, of joy, of fulfillment, of meaning and significance, because all the forces that oppose Christ and life have been defeated on the cross. His resurrection displays that victory for all of us to see, but we realize it's a progressive victory in that it's continually on awaiting Christ's final return when he accomplishes it in completion. He's inaugurated, it started, 
It's certain. But he hasn't finished it yet till Christ comes again. And this kingdom building is a part that we live in until Christ returns. When the kingdom of God is fully built, then Jesus will have vanquished all his enemies and Christ's reign is complete. That's what Paul says, verse 24. He says, after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power, everything that's in opposition to what God has for you and for me, that brings us meaning, happiness, and joy in life. For he says, for Jesus must reign. And he hands over the keys to the kingdom. Handing over the keys. You know, maybe as a parent, when you hand over the keys for the first time to your child when they start driving, right? How is that? Is it kind of like, oh, good, or is it like, oh, you know? It's, uh. But for Christ, it's different. He's not, he's not reluctant. He puts everything under his feet, but what, what does it signify? It signifies when you hand over the keys, you have control, you have authority over that vehicle. Or in a, in a, uh, a home, keys to a home. When, they, when you do a closing, buying a new home, you get the keys and it signifies what? You have ownership of that home. That's yours. You control it. You own it. It's yours. And using that idea is what Jesus is doing. He's defeated all the things that oppose to God, all the things that sin brought in the world. And when it's all accomplished, he hands over the kingdom to God saying, now what we planned from the beginning, what God, the triune God planned from the beginning now has been accomplished. And the keys of the kingdom stand for that what? It stands for God fully in control over all things. Sin has been defeated, vanquished. Satan has been thrown into the pits of, of hell. And so what? Now we can be fully live into the joyous perfection of Jesus Christ. That's what he's talking about. All of this is because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, I remember one covenant church I served at, when they were doing a building project, they didn't quite understand how that building project worked, so the general contractor ran into trouble and didn't pay some of his subcontractors, but billed the church for the whole work, and so they paid the work. Well, then they found there were liens against the church property because the subcontractors hadn't been paid. And so what happened then, they didn't fully own the church until all those liens were paid. And then they had to pay a second time to those subcontractors till they fully owned it. And what this is saying here, and understand, there's no liens against the kingdom of God. Jesus has paid everything. Everything has been paid by the death of Jesus Christ, by his shed blood. And his resurrection shows it, so there's nothing against that, so that God fully owns all things. And there is no opposition, nothing to come against that kingdom's full desire and joy and life in it. For this is the kingdom of life. Death has been crushed. And the final enemy is nothing more is death. But that death will be crushed and God will do away with death so that when, when he comes again, death will be defeated and there will no longer be any death. That's what death is to us, that great and last enemy. Death is defeated by life. You know, if you have a favorite movie that has scenes where there's opposition and battles, whether it's superhero movies or some other types... You know, when there's, when there's fight scenes or antagonistic scenes, the last battle is always against who? The biggest enemy, the, the final enemy, right? The super villain. 
That's always the last thing. They don't do away with the supervillain right away and then you have his lackeys after. No, you deal with the lackeys and the supervillain's the last one. Well, death is that supervillain to us as people. And that last defeat, death. Jesus has defeated. He says it's, it's defeated. It's just a matter of when, when he will put it away. And when he returns, death will be no more. Death is defeated by life. What a great news that is. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. In Sri Lanka, a number of years ago, I think it was four years ago on Easter morning, as the Christians were celebrating worship, unfortunately there were some terrorists who wanted to disrupt the church of Jesus Christ and sent some bombers into various churches. And one church was a Zion Evangelical Church where a terrorist carrying a couple bags tried to make his way into the church. And Ramesh Raju, he became a hero because he saw this man carrying a couple bags and he stopped and says, I, I'm uncomfortable with this. You're going to have to leave those bags outside. And so he intervened with this man and this man was carrying bombs in these bags. And there were hundreds and hundreds of people in the church and he wanted to blow up the church and all these people. When Ramesh, Ramesh wouldn't let him in, he detonated the, the bags and killed Ramesh and himself and, and a few other people there. But he saved hundreds and hundreds of people. Bravery and courage to save the lives of others to the cost of your own life. He didn't run away and say, oh, I've got to get out of here and save my own life. No, he stopped this man, costing him his own life, but saving hundreds of others. We might say death was defeated by Ramesh's act because his life, his act, his courage saved hundreds of others from death. That's death, that's life defeating death. And that's what Jesus Christ, as our substitute, did for us. He died so that we might live. He defeated death for you and me so that we could know life eternal. Jesus sacrificed for you so that we can have life. He's alive. So you and I can be alive forevermore. His death defeated death so that life, his life, lives forevermore. So life is defeated by death. Life, praise God, reigns over death. What does he say in the last verses, 27 and 28? For when he has put everything under his feet, now when he says everything has been put under him, it's clear that this does not include God himself, who put everything under Christ. And when he had done this, the Son himself he made subject to him who put everything under him, so that God may be all in all. That term, so that God may be all in all. That's what you and I need. That's the only way you and I can find life as God created us to know. For when everything is fully under the hand and reign of God, and sin is defeated, death is gone, everything under his feet, the king, God, is over all things, then that joy, that purpose, that hope, that future that we want has been made thing because all things are under his feet. You know, when I was growing up, there were four boys in my family growing up. And when you wanted to put, put your, you know, exert your will on someone, one of the ways we often did it is you, you'd stand on your brothers, right? <laughs> you know, you, you stand on them. Because when you were on somebody, whether it was their hands or feet or chest, whatever it was, you know, not too often we'd stand on their heads or anything. But, you know, when you were in that position, who had control? The one who was standing on them because everything was under your feet. 
This is the imagery that Paul is using here. Because when you, everything's on your feet, they're under your control. You're in charge. And this is what is taking place through Christ's resurrection. Now death is under his feet. All things in creation are under him so that God can be all in all. Before creation, the triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit was filled with joy, but they didn't have anyone to share it with. But in their grace, in their mercy, they made humans, they made us, they made the world so they could share their joy with us. But sin messed that up. And this world which God created is good, we see the pain, the heartache, the struggle, we see death, we see the the trouble and, and the brokenness to it. But Christ has come to remove that curse of sin, to bring life and hope into your life and mine so that we can live that hope now and one day experience it in his kingdom forever. God in his grace has accomplished this through Jesus Christ. And when he returns, he will complete that work where everything has been defeated, that God is all in all. And that's exactly what you and I need to live lives, eternal lives, of perfectness, of blessing, fulfillment, joy. Think of the happy married couples and the, the newlyweds in the first couple of years. Well, that lasting forever, even in a greater sense, this is what must take place through what Christ has done. Only when God is all in all can that take place. Can there not be the things that are against us? All the things touched by sin must go under the feet of God so that he can be supreme in everything. All the wars, rebellion, injustices must be defeated. All of that, all sin must be done away with so that all in Christ may find that joyous eternal life because then God is all in all. And that state is necessary for you and me to be with God and experience the glories of his presence with no possibility or threat against it. I mean, no way that can be lost or done away with. In Revelation, it's like God may be all in all. In Revelation 22, 3, and 5, we get a little picture of this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. We see in life the consequences of sin, death. One man, one act. But the glories of God are shared with all of it. Through one man, one act, we have eternal life. And we have not just good life, but perfect eternal life without sin, without death, without any injustice or anything bad. So that Christ can be glorified and we can live in him. And when that takes place, then there's the conditions for us to live eternally, wonderfully with God forever. Do you belong to this? Do you know this? This is what God has for you. It's what Christ has done for you. One man, one act, death enter world. We praise God, one man, Jesus Christ, one act, his death and resurrection, resurrected life, entered the world for us forever. For all who belong to Christ, this is our future. That's why we're a resurrected people and we can live in light lives in light of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is God all in all in your life? For the resurrection life, this is what God calls us to. Because in it, we have such a hope and such a future through Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. So will we who belong 
to Jesus Christ. He's alive. One man, one act, so that God can be all in all. And we can share in that overflow of his glory forever. Praise his name. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these words that challenge us but encourage us all at the same time. Lord, we live in the time frame between Adam and Christ in his return. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to live faithfully, trusting and believing that Jesus will return again. And Lord, encourage us with this message of hope that we will live as people who look forward to what you've done. Lord, you've you accomplished the work. And we look forward and we pray, come Lord Jesus, come. And we long to live in that perfected blessedness in Christ. So Lord, give us strength as we serve and live you until that day we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.